We have a special guest speaker this morning. He's an old, dear friend of Martha's and mine, uh, Bob Mendelson. Bob, why don't you start coming up while I uh, continue introducing you. Uh, Bob is uh, on staff with Jews for Jesus, perhaps our very, very favorite organization that we love and support and we feel very close to. I first met Bob, I think it was probably 1979, during that Avodah year in San Francisco with his lovely wife, Patty. Uh, Bob, um, when did you go on staff with Jews for Jesus? 1979, September. 1979. And prior to that, Bob had been a young pastor in Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas. The mustard seed. That's what I started. You know, that's the only reason I was the pastor is that I started it. (laughs) Who would let a 22-year-old punk (laughs) pastor a a fairly decent congregation? And then uh, the Lord redirected you uh, out of pastoral work into more, uh, you know, missions work, evangelism on staff with Jews for Jesus. Uh, Bob and Patty, Martha, and I uh, served the Lord together. We were stationed together in New York City from 1980 to, uh, I was there through 1985. We left 87. 87. Uh, Bob has continued to serve the Lord uh, with Jews for Jesus and for a long time now has been the director of their work in Australia. 20 years. 20 years. Bob has been living in Australia with Patty. Uh, Bob has three children, and how many grandchildren now? Two so far. Two so far. Two so far. And, um, yeah, I I love Bob. He's one of my old uh, dear friends, faithfully, uh, has served the Lord many years, uh, loves God, loves the word of God, loves um, the good news of God, and bringing it to others. And so it's a special joy to have uh, Bob with us. This was not easy for him to uh, get to us. He was in Germany yesterday. Uh, He had quite a bit of difficulty uh, with flights getting here. Um, So we really appreciate um, Bob being with us uh, this morning. Robert? Thank you. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. It is a joy. Uh, it also, Glenn had a lot of stress. Sorry, Rabbi Glenn had a lot of stress. Sorry, brother. Uh, keep You kept getting email notifications. Bob's not coming in at 2 o'clock, not coming in at 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Midnight, he picks me up last night at Detroit Airport. So bless his heart, and thank you for that good word you brought. Rabbi Lauren, thank you for the invitation. Martha... Alexandra, it's just great to be back with you. I was here about eight years ago. It wasn't this cold. (laughs) Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 16? Today we're going to talk about who's who in your congregation. Suppose it's one of those concerns that people have when they walk into a place for the first or second time they suss it out are these the kind of people I want to hang out with every Saturday every Sunday where's the uh, who are the I don't know if you 
are familiar with the book of Philippians in the Newer Testament. It is unusual as Paul, the author, communicated to a group of people without one corrective in four chapters. If you know Jewish leaders, especially a guy like Paul, you know he's going to say, you did really, except for, and you shouldn't have, and boy, did you get that wrong. You know, that kind of thing. I remember I was 14 years old or so, and in a congregation in Kansas City where I grew up, Orthodox Synagogue, Saturday morning, I was so very proud of this new sweater that my mother had knit for me. It was white, it had the blue and red cable stitching, I don't even know what that is, up the side, and it was a beautiful thing. You know, in those days, just like today, I always wore a suit to synagogue and a tie and jacket. You know, you look, that was appropriate. Well, that day I wore not a jacket, but a, a white sweater. Halfway through the service, the rabbi called me up, hundreds of people there, called me up to the bima, there, and there I was, you know, 14, you're a puppy, and you've just been bar mitzvah, it's scary as I'll get out when the rabbi singles you out. So I come up, he cups my chin in his hand and says, nice sweater, next week, dress correctly, and gives me a knock. So, you know, Jewish rabbis would be especially good at finding faults, <laughs> which may help you understand why it's so uh, righteous when Yeshua stands up on Hanukkah and says, I and the Father are one, in front of a group of questioning men. And they pick up stones to stone him, and he says, for which of my works do you stone me? I mean, who would do that with this 14-year-old knock? You know, it's just gutsy as all get out. And he walked through the midst of them. So that the Apostle Paul, a rabbi in his own right, finds nothing to correct in the community called the Philippians is startling. And I want to allege that the reason he had nothing to correct is that they started right. Acts 16 is the beginning of the church of Philippi, or the congregation of believers there in that Greco city. So let's read, and I want you to see five different either individuals or groups who are going to be the veritable who's who in the congregation that started well, and that's still going well in Paul's day. Verse 1, Paul came to Derbe in Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. What's the Jewish woman's name? Eunice. Grandmother was Lois. In modern days, what would he be? Would he be Jewish or not Jewish? He'd be Jewish, son of a Jewish woman. My, how times have changed. How do I know that? He was well spoken of by the brothers who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek, which means the religion that he carried on was his father's religion, not his mother's religion. The world has changed. No, it's always been Jewish mother. No, that's not the way it was. Circumcision is pretty defining. 
Now, if you were going to start a congregation, you wouldn't choose a half-breed. You know, I, I wouldn't do that. No, you choose a, a full-breed kind of guy. Not, you know, I mean, okay, Timothy, you're, you're all right, but, you know, your dad's a Greek. While they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been de- decided upon by the apostles who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the communities of faith, the churches, were being strengthened in the faith, increasing in number daily. Well, Paul took the first one in the church of Philippi is a half-breed named Timothy. Well spoken of, that's good. Good reputation, that's good. But, you know, not a doctor, not a lawyer. You know, you start with some prominent guy who's going to help you get into the right places, not at this Greek-Jewish connect. <laughs> Happy 28th anniversary, Glenn. I think we had two that year, didn't we? We had uh, Parkus also got married that year with them. Another Greek-Jewish thing. And Tillis and Pappas. Wow, it was good in New York. We had a lot of Greek, Greco-Jewish things. But I wouldn't have started with one of those guys. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after... What? The Holy Spirit forbade the apostles from preaching? No, that can't be right. Luke, you got this one wrong. Let me fix this. Because obviously Luke got it wrong. The Holy Spirit wouldn't tell us, no, what Yeshua said to go and do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. So forbidden by the Holy Spirit. That can't be right. Except the word had already in that region been being preached and God wanted them to launch to places it hadn't yet gone. After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Again, done already. Tick, tick. Passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. That's west coast Turkey. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Luke is the author of this section of Bible. Luke introduces himself right here, first time. That Paul saw the vision, we decided to go with him. Welcome, Luke. I like that. And maybe that, maybe that frustrates some of you who've been so taught wrongly, not here, wrongly that you individually should be the body of Christ or something. Sometimes leaders get a vision and we purpose that that's our vision. Everybody doesn't have to see the whole ball of wax. We just all have to participate in the body of Messiah wherever we are. So if you've come from a me and Jesus kind of church, you know, if you, which doesn't work in Australia, but I'm glad I can say it here, uh, that God and me is a majority. Well, in a way that's true, but be very careful God calls us into families. God calls us into congregations. And if this is your home, doggone it, stay here. And do what we all are doing. You want to fit in. Paul saw the vision. We decided that's what we're going to do. 
Everybody didn't see the vision. I want to know, how did he know if this guy was from Macedonia? Did he have a big M on his... I don't know. <laughs> did he talk with a Macedonian? I don't know. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia, you know where that is. We've, we've seen that now. Is it in the Olympics? Is there a Macedonian team? Yugoslavia. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. Boom, boom, boom. They were like I was yesterday from one airplane to the next, to the next city, to the next. That's fine. From there to Philippi, a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we've stayed in this city for some days. Come on, Paul, get to it. Can't you find the guy with the big M on his shirt? But they waited. Philippi is the Detroit of the area, the biggest city, prominent. It's a port city, though. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who'd assembled. Paul, you're looking for the guy. Don't hang out with women at the wall. This is not going to help you. Get down to the men, the men's section. But, you know, he's being led by the Spirit. And sometimes, you know, I'd love to read his journal. Well, we tried that. That didn't work. We tried. No, that's my journal. Sorry. Verse 16, a woman named Lydia, number two of our five, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. That's how Luke describes her coming to faith. Hmm. All right, she's from Thyatira. That's back in Turkey. Saul, Paul, is from Tarsus, back in Turkey. Two people from varied cities in Turkey are now over here in Philippi, both in a different place than their birthplace. She doesn't live there. (coughs) Paul doesn't live anywhere. She's on a trade show mission. She's there. She's at the convention center. I like the way Luke uses the term Worshipper of God, that just means as close to being Jewish as you can get without converting for Gentiles. And he uses the phrase, was listening. That listening ear in Luke's account is a description of someone whose heart is towards God at that moment. The Lord opened her heart to respond And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us and said, stick around, I made lunch. If you've judged me to be faithful, the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Huh. Immediately after her coming to faith in Yeshua, she's hospitable. Lydia, I I don't know if I'd start with Lydia if I were going to start a church in Philippi. I, I mean, she's not even a resident. She's just a visitor Now, I think I'd start with, you know, the local head of the Chamber of Commerce. Start with not just some lady on a trade show. 
But God opened her heart and fed the apostles and the apostolic team there. Verse 16, it happened as we were going to the place of prayer. This is still the same day. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Do they still hand out? Remember in New York, they'd get, we, had, we had those at 72nd and Broadway. There would always be somebody at Times Square. There were people all over handing out Mrs. Lois uh, has special insights. Here, come and get a reading with her. I was in Jerusalem last week, and a guy out front of the central bus station handed me a very same thing about Rabbi Whoever. And I said, I stopped, I said, please tell me, what am I going to get, if I go there to Rabbi Menachem, I think, if I go to Menachem's place, what am I going to, oh, oh, he had this real spirituality, oh, it's so wonderful, you could ask him anything you want and he'll tell you. And I said, I I could probably find some drunk on the corner who would tell me anything too, but uh, but (laughs) save me a lot of money and travel. But I found this fortune-telling thing to be not only mysterious and luring and alluring, but it's historic. I mean, it was here in first century, there in Philippi, and it's still going on in Jerusalem today and in Times Square, maybe even here in Detroit when it warms up. Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, These men are are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Every Bible that I've ever read has that phrase, proclaiming to you the way of salvation. But the word the is not in the Greek. Proclaiming to you a way of salvation. For the life of me, I don't know why people insist on putting ho, the word the, in there. I don't know why. Because something was bothering Paul with this Ed McMahon-like woman. Here's the boys. They're great. They're the servants of the Most High God. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. Why would he be annoyed? Hmm. Turned and said to the demon, I command you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. She didn't take it by faith. They didn't have a, no, just trust me, it really happened. Because verse 19, when her masters, these are unbelievers, saw that their hope of profit was gone. Something happened right in front of all these people. And this woman was delivered, a slave girl, probably not even 20, a teenager. And these owners of the slave girl, my goodness, if there's any trade that's global today, That's the most horrible trade. It's the slave trade, the sex trade. It's the same thing. It is global. It's all over Australia, Southeast Asia. My goodness, it's everywhere I travel. It's in Germany, and I don't doubt that it's in Michigan. When they, the owners, saw that their profit was gone, their hope of profit, they knew that she was delivered. They didn't take it by faith. They saw something, maybe She screamed, maybe she drooled. I I don't know what it was that they saw, but whatever it was, it was visible, it was clear. 
it was in their eyes permanent. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. So the third member of the church of Philippi is a teenager who's been filled with a demon, a spirit of divination, by the which she brought her master's great prophet. Paul, come on, there's got to be somebody really valuable in the community that you could go reach. What in the world are you doing talking to this slave girl? Why are you letting her lead you around in the marketplace through the last few days? Why are you hanging? And finally he turns and says to the demon, I command you in the name of Yeshua, Messiah, get out of her. Boom. Salvation comes to that girl. Number three, in the who's who in the congregation of Philippi. These men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews. You ever get that, Rabbi Lauren? Yeah. Judaizer. I don't like the word Judaize. There were people who followed after Paul, not in this scene, but who followed later, who followed after him and taught wrongly the word of God, messed it up, the Galatian heresy, you've read about that. And the the Galatians started so well, and then they said, well, we better be what we nickname modern days Torah observant. That's what they call it now. And... And Paul was, he called them the thorns in his flesh. These people, these people. And they, they, uh, they call it in modern day theology, they say, these are Judaizers. People who followed after Paul and tried to make Gentiles to become Jews. As if being a Jew is a bad thing. Judaizer means to make someone into a Jew. Well, that's all right. I think they were legalizers, not Judaizers. They were trying to make people legalists or perform in such a way that God would give them a ticket, uh, sorry, a check, an approval, stamp of approval, a seal of approval, if you just comply with X, Y, and Z. That's not the same allegation that's being brought here by the slave girl's owners. These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which not lawful for us to accept or to observe. We are Romans. So what does the magistrate do? He's got to have some kind of courtroom. He's got to have some kind of sentencing The crowd rose up together against them. Now there's no Pax Romana. This thing is going wild. The magistrates, have you ever seen a soccer match? I can say soccer here. In Australia, it's football. Around the globe, it's called football. I went to Buenos Aires, and I was there on on a mission. And I had a couple days afterwards to go and experience the rest of the city that I hadn't seen. And there was a major match between the two major soccer teams that define Argentinian football. 
And I thought, I should go. This would be a great experience to go there. And I thought, wait, what if I'm wearing the light blue and I should be wearing the dark blue? It'd be like going to a Packers-Lions game, right? And you're in the wrong section and wearing the wrong color. And all of a sudden, you're cheering and the crowd... Well, we don't kill too many people in the States, but in Argentina, it wouldn't be surprising to be stomped by a crowd. I thought I shouldn't be there for that. But it was similar. I've been in mobs. Have you ever been in a mob? Not just a large crowd, but a mob. I was at Washington University in St. Louis. That's where I attended back in 69 and a little bit longer. Ah, the hippie days. I didn't graduate there, but I had three semesters of great fun. I burned down the ROTC building along with some friends. But when I did that, I was in a mob. It was anti-Vietnam. I mean, I love to travel the world. I didn't want to go to Vietnam and come home in a box. It was just a, a bad era in 1970. But I remember when we struck on campus against Richard Nixon and the military industrial complex. Apologies if you're part of that. But I I did that. And there I was, all of a sudden, the crowd is moving, and I have no rights. I'm them. I'm us. That was it. And just a few months later, I was at a moratorium in Washington, D.C. Black armband, crowd sweeping there at the Capitol or the mall or wherever we were. I don't know. But wherever we were, and I was in a crowd, there was, I had no Words, no statement. I couldn't say, I'm going to go over here, fellas. I'll pick up a Taco Bell. I, I had no rights. The crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them, that's Paul Silas, to be beaten with rods. When they'd struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, the jailer, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison. Read, lower prison. They were vertical prisons. And fastened their feet in the stocks. I don't know if you've ever had a rough day, uh, not on a motorcycle, but I mean in a uh, playing sport. You know, we're getting older, you guys. And uh, what we used to be able to do when we were 20 and 25... uh, Yeah, you shouldn't try it again. Uh, But we still do, you know. We still go out and we play backyard football or, uh, I don't know, even pickleball could be harmful at times. Anyway, this this pain of, of, wow, I didn't, my legs are, my, yeah, everything's hurting. And when that happens, you run some, rub some Bengay, you take a hot bath, you know, you do whatever. Honey, would you please rub, you know, you, you get comforted. After these guys, Paul and Silas, have been mobbed, beaten, thrashed, really, and slammed into the lower prison and locked into stocks, they couldn't say, honey, would you please rub my... It's a bad day physically for those fellas. And locked in stocks means you can't twist and turn so easily. Verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. (laughs) What's wrong with those two? These guys, 
are, they've got something else going for them that they didn't say, hey, let's wait till next Shabbat and sing with the, with the congregational leaders. Uh, we'll do some hymns. They started right then. These guys knew God. These guys knew that they were in a place where God was and God was with them. And they counted it a privilege to suffer on his behalf and in his name. About midnight, they're having a praise service. Not, oh, man, my back hurts. Not one of those. But hallelujah, the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Wow. I want to read their journal that day. And the prisoners, there it is, Paul's, Luke's word again, were listening to them. Well, of course they were hearing them because it's midnight in a prison. They don't have TVs on. It's dark. They're, it's, it's not just audible, but their hearts were attuned to what Paul and Silas were singing and saying. They got it. So these convicts are group four. I'll show you that in a moment. Convicts, really, those are the ones that you want in your church in Philippi? Suddenly, I love that word in the Bible, there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's chains were unfastened. Really, that's how user-specific earthquakes happen? (laughs) Today in Sausalito, California, an earthquake took place and all the people at Chick-fil-A (laughs) were able to get free, you know, burgers or something. I mean, what? It doesn't happen. Earthquakes don't happen in one location for one. And locks, stocks, they got unleashed. And then, I mean, earthquakes rumble all around. You've been in one? Were you ever in one in California? Yeah, me too. Was it during Avodah? Yeah, two. I slept through the second. Yeah, it was pretty startling, and you had to run into a, an archway, wasn't it? Gosh. I was in Jerusalem a year ago, and, and the siren went off for the uh, Iron Dome. And every, I was at a pub, a, 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 a restaurant. <laughs> I'm bilingual. And all the foreigners freaked out. Ah, what are we doing? And all the locals just picked up their drink and slowly walked to the door. <laughs> it was the funniest scene. I stayed with those guys. I figured they knew what they were doing. Well, somehow this earthquake landed right on that jail, and there they were in one place. All the doors opened. Everyone's chains were unfastened. Whose chains is that? That's Paul's. That's Silas. And that's all the other convicts. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he knew he was dead meat. Isn't that what? He was given an assignment. Keep them securely, the word was given. Which basically means if they, get, if they escape, you're dead. Your life is their life. So the jailer wakes up during this earthquake. 
and sees that their doors are opened, he knows that prisoners leave at moments like that. He drew his sword, was about to to off himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, because no doubt there was still aftershocks, saying, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Now, if Paul's downstairs and the other prisoners are upstairs, because that's how inner prisons worked, which means they, Paul and Silas got the excrement and all the, just everything from the prisoners above. They're living in this horror, which is the inner prison. He has to cry out above the din, we are all here, which means he had a word of knowledge that the other prisoners had not escaped. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, as you would if you were a jailer, fell down before Paul and Silas and after he brought them out, he said, how do I get in on this? Uh, Your version might say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't asking a theology. He wasn't saying, you know, your religion is most curious. I'd really like to learn more about it. He's saying, I'm the jailer, I'm holding the keys, I'm about to kill myself because I'm in prison to Rome. You are prisoners and you're free, but you're in my jail. The the gods have opened the doors for you and you're still here. I want what you've got. I want freedom. How do I get this? That's what he means by saved. And they said, Believe in the Lord Yeshua, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. They didn't say, come next Tuesday to our Bible class. They said, right now, after midnight, let's have church. Wow. He took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he, the jailer, was baptized, he and all his Household. Group number five, the warden of the jail and all his house. Timothy, the half-breed, Lydia, the merchant, worshiper of God, sort of close. A demon-possessed teenager, some ex-convicts, and the jailer. Who's who in the church of Philippi? Those, I don't, you know, if I had a list of top 400 people, I wouldn't have chosen any of these, chosen any of these. (laughs) Aren't you glad God chooses? God chooses teenagers who burn down ROTC buildings. At 19, I got saved in Kansas City. I won the Bible battle with the two young people who were out witnessing on the streets there at Volker, not Volker, Volker Park by the Nelson Art Gallery in historic middle of Kansas City. They'd been believers four months, Pam and John, young people. He had Jesus is dot, dot, dot written on his blue jeans. 
you know, the Lord is with you. They said as I walked by, I went, oh boy, some more of those Jesus freaks. I stopped, I turned around 20 feet later, I sat down, I said, I'm Jewish, go ahead. I knew what they wanted to do, convert me to their blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. I'd seen the movies. (laughs) Jesus, they, they grabbed their Bible and flip to the Old Testament and Genesis 1. Here it says, let us make man see God's three yet one. And I thought, give me your Bible. Because I knew my stuff. I'd been raised in religion pretty well. Four days a week at Shul, long past my bar mitzvah. Learned with rabbis even there at Washington University at Teferis Israel, the Hever Kedisha. I learned with Rabbi Poland who was related, an uncle of our friend Robin. And he uh, made Aliyah. But I learned, you know, you don't get lessons for free. So for me to get lessons from the rabbi, I taught his son guitar. I'm sure I taught him beautiful songs. So I knew my religion, I knew my book, and I took that book and I showed him right here, God is not a man, nope, that can't be Jesus, nope, this can't be Jesus, flip. I won the Bible battle. But she said this crazy phrase, Pam said, you know, when you accept Jesus as your savior, the green grass, we were to park, the green grass will be greener, the blue sky will be bluer. Can anybody find that verse in the Bible? (laughs) It's not there. (laughs) She spoke to my heart in a language, not Hebrew, but in a language I could understand. We were hippies. I really wanted what these two young people had. I went back where I was staying. I I read St. Matthew, St. Mark, all these Catholics, St. John. I read all these things, and there it was, Jesus who stood up in front of guys holding rocks and said, if I've said anything wrong, if I've done anything wrong, level me. Wow. Holy chutzpah. That's the kind of guy I wanted to follow. But wait a minute, I'm Jewish. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. And God got hold of me three days later. I went to a girl's house whom I knew to be a Christian. It was in Leewood, Kansas. If you know Kansas City's geography or history, you know that Leewood was a place where blacks and Jews were not allowed to live or at least purchase homes in the 60s. There I was sitting on the stoop of a house and I told this girl, Marva, that I really wanted this Jesus stuff. You know, love, joy, meaning, relevance, the Things I kept reading about here in the Bible. But I don't want your Jesus. I didn't want to be an orphan. She said, you don't get this Jesus stuff unless you take Jesus as your Messiah. So under a full moon, May of 71, I prayed, Father, forgive me in Jesus' name. Make me born again. She taught me how to sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. I knew the words from... Judy Collins or Joan Baez, but I had no idea what a wretch like me meant until that night. I still get bungled up in those 
John Newton words, but I love the chorus we sang of Praise God that night. I rejoiced greatly having believed in God with my whole household. God can reach somebody like me or my 96-year-old grandmother who got saved and died five years later, back in 1991, 96. He got hold of Rabbi Glenn, Martha. Do you have a title? Just Martha. <laughs> Rabbi Lauren. Sandra, do you have a title? Artist in residence or something? No. Look, he got hold of us one by one by one and every week, every month, every year, Jewish people around the globe one by one are coming to faith in Messiah. I am amazed when I watch what God does in drawing people to himself. And this morning here at this service, are you recording this? Okay, so if you're listening wherever you are, Montreal or Mozambique, or Ypsilanti, a natural triad. Um, if, you, if you're listening online or you're here in the sanctuary and you're not yet a believer in Yeshua, this whole story is helping you to sort out that God can make you into one of his who's who in his community of faith. He adored you and sent his son Yeshua to bring you to himself. No, you're not just one of those slave girls. No, you're not just one of those ex-cons. You're a person for whom Yeshua died. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He longs to be in relationship with you. If you this morning are not yet a believer and you've been watching all these words on screen or listening to these words of mine, and thinking maybe God really does have something for me. You are right. He does. He has eternal love for you. I love that song we sang, Billy Ray Foote's song, I'm Forgiven. I'm Forgiven. That's the game right there. That's the whole ball of wax. How much religion do you perform? I don't know. I do pretty well. But I'm forgiven because of what God did for me in Yeshua. If that's your first time you're thinking this, if you're just now dealing with, God, you, f- you love me? I'm just on a trade show mission in Southfield. I've never, I've never come to Detroit. And Mendelssohn, you, you don't live in Detroit, so here are two people, me and you, and we've come here like Paul and Lydia to a strange place for both of us. And God is reaching you. Whoever you are, you half-breed, whoever you are, you jailer, don't grab your sword to off yourself. God's compassion and love is deep and dear for you. You can be a who's who member of this congregation. You don't have to be prestigious or a chamber of commerce president. You don't even have to know where the golf clubs are. Who's who? You are who. And God wants you to be in his community of faith. I'm going to say a prayer just now. 
And if you've never prayed a prayer to the living God asking him to forgive you in the name of Yeshua, do it right now. I'm going to say some words. Let them be your words if you want. Come up with your own words. The words aren't what matter. The bowed heart is what matters. Right where you are, just say words like this. Father, in Yeshua's name, thank you for loving me. I'm forgiven because you were condemned, accepted. You've done everything for me. Wow, I don't deserve it. I'm not a religious kind of guy. I'm not really strong in my faith, but I hear you are. I hear that you can take care of me and fill me with your spirit to make me into your kind of person. I don't have a lot going for me, but you've got a lot on my behalf. So I receive Yeshua as my Messiah, as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me. Make me born again to a hope that is seriously alive. I give you thanks. Thanks for hearing me in Yeshua's name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, right where you are, would you raise your hand? Say, that was me. I just prayed that. You did? Good on you. I mean, good for you. I want to, don't slip out. I want to talk to you just after. And if you're listening online, maybe that's you and you want to write to Congregation Shema Yisrael and there will be some way to do that. Or Google Jews, Jesus, and Australia. You'll get to my website. And I'll be happy to keep talking to you and help you through with that. You have some cards. Thank you. Usually we have some Jews for Jesus cards. I'd love to keep talking to you through the agency of our Jews for Jesus newsletter. And I could even send you, yeah, just grab one. Just grab one, pass it down. It's like an examination. Take one, pass it down the row. Use two number two pencils. <laughs> I know it says Shema Yisrael on the, uh, on the card. This is the best we could do today. Because a box is somewhere in transit between California and in the snow of Michigan. It's, it'll be here soon, in a month or so, we'll see. So if you would be so kind as to fill that out with your name and details and just drop it off um, or wherever we're going to have Lauren, Rabbi Lauren will tell us what to do in just a moment. Thanks for that. Brother, thank you for letting me come. And um, I appreciate these people, this Shabbat. I enjoy being with you again. It's a great, sweet reunion for me. Many blessings on you. Shabbat shalom.